Welcome to the I Love Music Podcast. My name is Jen Fedor. I started the I Love Music Podcast to inspire people who love music, encourage people who work within the industry, and to hear each person's unique story. For this episode, I got to interview Blake Stokes from Jagged Baptist Club, which was formed in Vernon, California. Jagged Baptist Club consists of Blake Stokes, Morgan Ponder, Josh Boyd, and CJ Ramsey. I get to talk to Blake about so many interesting subjects from being a child actor, English bands, sobriety, and so many good tips for artists. Jagged Baptist Club is releasing their new album on Chain Letter Collective this week called Reptile Super Show. And if you are in LA on June 28th, come out to their album release show. For all the info, check out jaggedbaptistclub.com. And let's get into Blake's interview. Blake, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thank you for having me. So your project, you guys are releasing a new album on June 28th. Yes, our first album. Yeah, your first album. Yeah, debut album. Um, how did it come together? Like, Yeah, 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 yeah. So I was in a band, it's weird, I was in a band called Test that okay. did a record. And two of the same guys that were in Test are in Jagged Baptist Club. And one guy's different. But it was the old test line. We started working on a new record. And as as we were working on that record, it started to feel like it was a different thing. Like it was kind okay. of its own thing. Yeah. And it felt, you know, it wasn't a complete departure from the test record, but it felt different. And so we wanted to change the name for kind of two reasons. And as we were changing the name, it was like, this is kind of a new thing, and it's a fresh start, and it's, we're doing a little bit of something different musically. So it started out as... I guess the second test record, but it evolved into this thing. This okay. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did the record um, throughout 2018, I okay. think. Yeah. How did you meet the other members of the band? Yeah, I'm originally from Houston, Texas. I'm from okay. Texas. And all the other three guys in Jagged Baptist Club are all Californian. And um, I met Morgan, the drummer, 2012, 2011, okay. long time ago, yeah. uh, through a guy that managed an older, older band I was in called Lady Heat. I met him. He was a California guy. He just saw us at a show out here, asked if we wanted, you know, a manager. He said, duh, yeah, please help. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be right. great. And I was like, I don't know, what, 25? So I was like, oh, manager? Yeah, you know what I mean? And, uh, and so we lost a drummer in that group, and he was like, I know this dude. And that's why I met Morgan. And Josh, the guy that plays keyboards in Jacket Baptist Club, was really good friends with him and was in a band with him at the same time. And so that's how I met the two of them. And uh, CJ, who plays bass in Jagged Baptist Club, uh, I work with uh, at the day job. So that's how I okay. met him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. That's great. How did you guys get connected to the Chain Letter uh, crew? Yeah, uh, through Facial, through the band Facial. Oh, um, uh, yeah, I love Facial. Yeah, we, our manager, Britt, who also runs the Hi-Hat, yeah. um, was really into early, early test stuff. And she was like, there's a band that you guys, I think, sound a little bit like, we get along with really well, you should go see this band called Facial. I'd seen the name around and stuff. I was like, okay, cool. So Morgan and I saw them at the Roxy with Kim and the Creator and the Dead Ships. That was the show. They were the, the first opener for that. Okay. And what we realized is we already kind of knew them. We didn't realize the people in Facial were the people in Facial. Like yeah. Sam and Facial, we knew from Rainbow Jackson from like a decade mm -hmm. ago. Mm -hmm. and, and Jason was in James Supercave for a little bit. And I yeah. went to college with Joaquin and Patrick from James Supercave. So I knew them okay. you know, tangentially through yeah. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So as soon as we went to go check out this new band that sounds like you were like, we already know these dudes and 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 so we we hit it off and and just kind of stayed in touch and eventually when the first test the only test record was done, the only test full length was done um they sent it to ben and that's how we met ben oh, okay and he was like we really like the test record and we were thinking about doing it together but we wanted to get it out like tomorrow you know what i mean yeah and, and they had like you know a proper thing set up for us to do and so we said let's just show you the second test record. And the second test record became the new band, became this thing. So that's how we met them. We met them through Facial from a recommendation from Brit. But we'd met the actual <laughs> people in Facial yeah, just yeah. being around in like 2010, just uh, playing shows and stuff. That's yeah. so cool. Um, so you're originally from Houston? Yeah. How did you make your way out to California? Yeah, okay. So uh, I, I was a child actor from, okay. I'm 34. So from 1988, so when I was like three or four to like, 2000 uh -huh. I was like a working child actor and started in Houston but very quickly started working out here wow okay so I started coming out here 91 yeah. 92 91 I think 91, what, type of, what type of shows were you all on kinds of or? everything like when you're when you're working and especially if you're working Houston and LA it's 
about a mix as you can get. So we have we have real proper movies in there. We yeah. have TV shows, but we also have industrial films for Compaq. We have industrial films for Amtrak <laughs> and stuff yeah. like that. So, yeah. so I did a bunch of that. I started coming out here then. And in high school, I went to a really intense performing arts high school in Houston. Kind of was done with acting by the time I was done with high school and wanted to do music stuff instead and didn't yeah. really want to go to college. Took a year off between high school and college. My parents were like, you should go to college. And I only applied to two schools. I applied to Cal Arts and UCLA because I was like, I've been doing this for my entire life, so I guess I'm going to go out that way and continue, right. like, doing acting how, stuff. Yeah, how, like, were you, like, mom and dad, like... Uh, how did I, I get into it in yeah, the first place? Like, yeah, yeah I have an older that? brother who was doing it before me. Oh, and, okay. And he got into it because the school, like, the elementary school we went to, there was a poetry competition. He was very good at it. And teachers okay. like, maybe he should think about doing, like, community theater. Yeah. And so he started very quickly working at a theater in Houston, a really great theater that's still there called the Alley Theater that's, like, a really big regional theater, like Tony Award winning theater. It's a great theater, the Alley cool. Theater in Houston. He started working there. I started going to rehearsals, seeing him work there. And, you know, I was three. So right. I was like, I want to do that. You know what <laughs> I mean? I didn't have, like, career designs. But I started doing it that way. There was maybe three agents in Houston. I got one of them. He got one of them. And just, they, you know, back then, you, they just put you on tape and send you out stuff here. Right. And very quickly, you know, they started saying, you know, we'd like to see him out here for stuff. So Cool. That's how that happened. So eventually I ended up at UCLA for theater. Uh, did not have a great time there. Uh, <laughs> was doing a different band at the same time. And then by the time I left UCLA, I was, I was completely kind of done with the idea of acting and wanted to do music. And then that's sort of how that really started full, full, full time. Yeah. yeah. Well, were there any shows like when you were doing like the child actor stuff that like you really enjoyed being on? Or was there... Short answer like... No. The short yeah. answer to that is like, yeah. no. Like, I worked with a lot of great people. I had a lot right. of really good experiences. Yeah. Um, there's, like, cool stuff I auditioned for. Like, I auditioned for The Phantom Menace, like, the first Star Wars prequel. <laughs> and, like, in 97, that's that's fucking crazy. You're 12. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, I, what? Uh, what? Yeah. So, you know, was I, like, on anything I was a fan of? No. Yeah. Like, I was in the X-Files movie and stuff like that's that. Cool. But, like, it was just, like a thing yeah it was like it was a thing that you were doing it was a job like, yeah you know and yeah. and and thankfully i didn't have like hardcore stage parents i wasn't like pushed into it or anything like that but it, it was like this is just what i do when i'm not in school yeah and i yeah. wasn't in school a lot yeah were you playing like music throughout then like how did you like no learn? i just like, yeah. loved music i just always loved music my dad my dad's 73 and he's still into like what's new, like still. That's so that's amazing. Super I awesome. I love like, that. Like back in 05, he told me about the Arctic Monkeys like a week after I found out about them. <laughs> he's just into it and, and he's into that with everything. He just wants to be yeah. on the cutting edge of whatever. Um, so some of my earliest musical memories are just like, you know, exposure to what he was playing on the radio. And we're, if we're talking like 90, 91 stuff he's playing on the radio it was like you know whatever the popular sort of rock or alternative stuff was so i'm talking like u2 rattle and hum u2 octane baby depeche mode violator you know that kind of stuff in excess like love in excess um so <laughs> yeah. i i really remember that stuff and and i was just always really into records like super super into records and i didn't play anything i didn't start playing an instrument until i was 18 when i graduated high school i was a front man in bands forever um, I was like, I can like do that yeah. and I don't have to buy anything and I don't have to learn anything. I yeah. can just do that. Yeah. And, and I was in like, you know, a cover band in high school that played like high school events and stuff like that. And then right when, when high school was over, most of my friends went off to college and I stayed in Houston for a year and I got a drum kit because I really wanted to play drums. And yeah. I just like for a year, my routine when I was 18 was like, wake up at noon, whatever, mm -hmm. one, play drums for a few hours and then listen to records and then go out and like hang out at this club that my friend could get me into and like drink. Cool, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and, and I didn't start playing guitar. I only started playing guitar out of complete necessity. And I'm the only guitar player in the band and the only reason that happened is that only happened in maybe like 2010, 2011. And, yeah. and I had no idea how to do it. I just, we got sick of the guys we had playing guitar and said I could probably figure this out. Right. Right. Yeah. So no, no, no yeah. music lessons. No, like, oh yeah, I always had a guitar on the weekends. I learned this cover. Right. That's not my experience at all. My yeah. my guitar lesson consisted of a really good friend of mine who was in Test and Lady Heat and stuff like that, who moved out here with me from Houston, showing me a bar chord, you know, a power chord rather. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, move that around. You're done. That was it. And listening to you know a wall of records. That, yeah. that was it. 
Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I love that. I love that yeah. a lot. So you, anyone can do it. If you want to do it, you know, good taste. You can't teach good taste, but you can teach someone a power chord. <laughs> yeah, <you know? laughs> for sure. So what's like your songwriting process like? Uh, it's usually one of two ways. A lot of it is me alone in the studio demoing stuff, playing drums to nothing, playing drums to something in my head, like counting something. Right. And walking over there and overdubbing stuff and just like spending eight hours in the studio trying to sort of, you know, do some alchemy to create a little something. And mm -hmm. then usually when I have something I'm, I'm proud of uh, or think, you know, is viable, I'll take it to the other people in the band and say, okay, here's what we're doing here. And I'll, and I'll have, I still have really specific ideas about the drums because, like, I'm the guitar player in the band, but I love drums still. I fucking love playing drums. Yeah. Um, and stuff like that. But the guys in the group I've worked with, you know, Morgan forever, I've known Josh forever, and, and CJ's just got really good instincts, so it's just sort of like, here's the blueprint, let's start kicking around the idea. That's how most of them happen, I would say, most of them. Some of them, though, will come out of just um, jams, just we're in there to work on something specific, mm -hmm. and we're taking a break, and we just start messing around and find something, and we usually write pretty quickly, like if... If we, you know, exercise the discipline to actually focus for like these three hours, we can get something done pretty, pretty quickly. So it's one of those two ways usually. That's cool. Yeah. Did you guys uh, record the album on your own or how did... We worked with a producer. Uh, okay. We worked with a guy uh, named Joseph who is a guitar player in Electric West and we met him playing shows at Electric West. and. He was always like, hey, I do production, I do recording, um, you should hit me up sometime. I said, great. And then we were in the need uh, to do some demos, and we did kind of like a first date with him uh, for one single for the test record, and it was great. And we did the test record with him, we did uh, all of this record with him, and some other demos and stuff, and we have a really good working relationship with him now, um, to where he, he really understands sort of what our tastes are. Like my favorite moment on the record coming out, he did. Like. I, it, yeah. We didn't do it. It's a production thing he did that I love. So, yeah, we worked with him, and, and we're super involved with the production, too. And, you know, we track everything, and then we're sitting with him when he's doing the second round of mixing and production stuff, too. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely a partnership, but he's really essential to the process. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, you guys just released a couple music videos. Mm -hmm. Um, who, who do you work with on those? And yeah, we worked with two guys on those. Uh, a guy named Styles, his real name. His real name is Styles Wolf Baker, which is crazy. That's, it's great. A, that's it's a good an name. amazing name. It's a good name, yeah. <laughs> and, and the cinematographer on, yeah. on two of them is a guy named Danny Valentine. Real names, both okay. of them. So, like, yeah. again, good taste. Yeah. Um, we worked with them on the Running on Synthetic video, which is out. And uh, Styles by himself did the Change video, which just came out, Change Today. And then there's a video that we've shot that won't be out probably till August, a longer form thing. Okay. Um, that we shot with Danny and Styles the same day we shot Synthetic. So yeah, those, those are our video guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I liked uh, like all the old um, footage and whatnot. Oh, from, and Change? Yeah, and Change. Yeah. yeah, Change was one of the first, maybe the first thing we wrote for the record. Then I had, I had like a demo of it, a, a different version, a little slower, the melody was different. We changed it right at the end of the record, but the riff was the same the entire time. Yeah. The music was roughly the same the entire time. And it just sounded like, like I feel like I have this memory of a commercial that may not have be a real commercial of like a truck like doing burnouts on like a Mesa. <laughs> yeah. Like from uh -huh. like 1990, you know, 95 yeah. or whatever, something like that. And I even was like YouTube searching truck doing burnouts in the desert and find it. But, but it just had that feel. And we would joke around this kind of sounds like a commercial commercial. And then... I, I had the idea for the video, and Styles and I are really good collaboratively of, like, I'll have this idea, then he'll throw his ideas in, and we'll, we'll get to something, where I was just thinking stuff like that, where it's just, like, really hyperbolic, super heightened, like, trucks, and it's this totally different <laughs> bent, and then all the yeah. food stuff I had in my head. I haven't, this is going to sound super pretentious, but I haven't lived in a place and had, like, regular TV, like cable TV in, like, 10 years. So yeah. I don't know if this is still the case with commercials. But, like, all the super, like, over-sexualized shots of, like, shrimp, like, being <laughs> yeah. poured out. Or, like, you know, That's lemons true. are wet and fine. <laughs> yeah. Or, like, ribs are being... Stuff it's like that, true. it's That's just like, so creepy yeah, to me. Yeah, it's so creepy. And weird. And I understand, you know, it's, it's sales, <laughs> but just like, I yeah. had that in my mind too. So, I was, you know, he wanted to do some weird performance footage stuff. And I always think that's, you know, has the danger of being super boring of like, you guys are playing in a room. 
And then, and then what? Are the amps there? No. Is the microphone plugged in? Like, like, how, like this, it's just, it's bizarre to me. So he was like, we can do performance in a cool way. And I love the way that he ended up doing it. I think it's awesome. But I was like, we need, like, sexualized food and, <laughs> yeah. and weird sprays of lemon. Yeah. And then he found some stuff that he liked. And so, yeah, we were sending YouTube clips back and forth for a long time. And, like, a lot of, like, the gum commercials and, like, oh, all yeah. the slow-mo stuff. Oh, my gosh. And, yeah. and you know... I'm I'm really into like just mood and atmosphere of something mm -hmm. and rather than like super spelling it out. I'm not saying there's a hidden message in, in, right. in that or anything, but like you could look at that as like we're poking fun at it or you could look at it like we think that's really awesome. You can look at it however you want to look yeah. at it. But like the vibe is a certain <laughs> It's definitely way. yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? The vibe is for like, sure. Yeah, like yeah. I'm not trying to over intellectualize like ribs being stroked with a weird barbecue <laughs> brush. I'm just gonna show <laughs> these things to you and however yeah. it makes you feel is however it makes you feel, but right. like it's very intentional what, what's happening <laughs> yeah. in that. So yeah, so that's the change video for for sure. And I, I love it, yeah. Yeah, being a child actor yeah. and now doing music, yeah. um, what like have been some of your challenging moments? Like have, have there been any challenging oh, moments? it's nothing but challenging moments. I mean, yeah. so like, let's talk about music stuff. The idea in 2019 of like of getting people to even meet in a room getting people to even leave their house to like show up right, and then do show. that three times yeah. a week. No, yeah. to rehearse, oh, to even to get rehearse. people in the room with a band. Think yeah. about this, like the idea that you have to spend thousands of dollars on equipment that you can't do anything else with when you can make a record on your computer using your computer that you also use for your job. Yeah. Like I can't like send an email on my amp, you know what I mean? Right. Or, or like, you know, watch a movie on my guitar. Like I'm buying this to just do this one thing. So the idea in 2019 of even finding people that want to do that want to, you know, sort of have the work ethic to the level that it would take to even be successful in an industry where there's kind of no money. It's yeah. like, what are you yeah. doing? Yeah. Like, it, it weeds out the people, it weeds out nearly everyone. Like, you know, if this was 1999, 1989, we would probably have, like, a deal. And it might be a crappy deal or a shitty deal, but we'd have a deal and be like, oh, cool, and right. be done. You know what I mean? So, like, the simple idea of even doing this beyond, like, we're playing music on the weekends is is a struggle and a hurdle to begin with. So that's one thing. Uh, and then, you know, it's the, the sort of like, you know, and I don't know if this is the same for other people, but the constant resurgence of like second guessing, is this the right move, you know? Should I be, is this, is this a reasonable move? Is this a responsible move? You know, and I, I think most people that are pursuing something like that, you know, especially because I have a lot of friends that, you know, have stopped doing it and, and stopped doing yeah. other things. Yeah. You know, you wonder, is it worth doing? For me, my, my litmus test is if we're doing better than we did this time last year, keep going. And that's been the case every time we've reviewed it, you know. Yeah. And every time yeah. I've reviewed it, and I've been in band since, you know, what, 04, 05 at this point. Um, so, so that's part of it, is just like, is this a smart decision? And then the question is, well, okay, I'm gonna stop, I'm gonna focus on a day job, I'm gonna focus on a career, okay, cool. So that might be really great for like three months, a year, and I might make a little more money. And, yeah. and then what? And that's, that's, the, that's the end point that I always get to. It's like, it's like people, people in AA and stuff talk, uh, talk about playing the tape forward, right? And, and one of the things is, okay, cool, I'll, I'll do that, but what does a year from then look like, or two years from then? Like, I wouldn't be happy. You know what I mean? And like I moved out here, lived in my rehearsal space for like three or four years, like a long, yeah. long time. And it's it's things that, you know, like I was saying, weed out the people that don't, that that can do other things, that would be just as happy doing other things. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. I know for me that I wouldn't be happy doing something else. So I get to that point and you're like, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta keep pushing. Let's do forward. another demo or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and also just like, how hard do you wanna do you wanna work for it? You know what I mean? And and that's something too. I I stopped drinking maybe two and a half years ago, two years ago. Okay. Two and a, two and a half now, and part of it was, you know, I'd reached an age where I kind of had to make a choice of like, do I just want to? And we were doing well. Like test was doing no, it was yeah. This test was just starting. It was like the first year of test. Test was doing great. It was doing better than the old band, and I was happy with the songs. And like things weren't fundamentally bad where they were, but I kind of had to ask myself like, am I giving myself 
the full shot at my potential that I could? And the answer to that was no at the time. Yeah. And 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 having a kid, I stopped drinking like days after my daughter was born, just outright. I'd, I'd been slowing down for a while, but I just outright just one day stopped. Yeah. Um, was one, that's a huge, you know, responsibility. And, and two, I just didn't want to get to 40 and be like, I just fucking partied for 20 years and like right. maybe what if I had hadn't done that? You know what I mean? Right. And and so that's that's some of it too is is just the level of discipline and work ethic and stuff like that that I think it probably does take to even start doing that. Yeah. Yeah, to go up. Yeah, no. I made a hand motion you wouldn't be able to see but <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> to progress upwards Lee, is 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 what the hand have, I mean, have you have you noticed since like not drinking, you know, anymore? Like yeah. upward progression. Fuck yeah. yeah, yeah. And it, and it's not even like you know, there's layers to it, and and yeah. and it's not my job to proselytize it in terms of what other people should do with their life. Right. But but just from you know a basic scientific level, it's like I'm not hungover, so yeah. I can think. Yeah. I have more money, so I'm not stressed out. Right. You know what I mean? Just yeah. like basic shit like that. I don't say a bunch of stupid shit after a show because I'm drunk to a person I probably <laughs> shouldn't be saying that to. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's really like pedestrian basic sort of like yeah. improvements that you can point to. Now, there's much larger things that, you know, we could talk about in, on a spiritual level or sort of a self-reflective level that yeah. have also been really beneficial. But, you know, if we just want to talk sort of brass tacks with that, it's like, yeah, I can handle my business a hell of a lot better. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that was really important to me so yeah that's that's been a really sort of um tangible obvious improvement is 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 i'm not drunk so i can think better yeah 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 no, you know yeah, what i mean and yeah. and 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 then you know once you have a clear head for like a long portion of time other larger sort of building block spiritual pieces life pieces can start to get addressed which is also really good and beneficial yeah yeah. What have been some of those spiritual? Yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah, so I had I had a couple friends that I'd known since high school, essentially, all kind of get sober independently around the same time. They're okay. all they don't really know. Two of them kind of know each other. That's it. But they're all spread out. Yeah. Two are in New York. One's in Texas still. And but I'm really I consider all of them like you know on my tiny 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 you know less than ten people short list of best friends. Yeah. And they all did it right before me. I'm maybe six months behind the last one. And so, you know, one of my concerns, because I, I drank from 19, I never really drank in high school, but right out of high school I, I started, and then in college for sure. And then, it, you know, it does that thing that maybe doesn't happen to a lot of people, it does, I think, to some people, which is where it switches from, well, okay, the reason I started drinking in the first place and liked it was like, I was nervous to go to this venue to meet these people, to do this thing and yeah. be on stage, and if... Well, here's this thing that's relatively cheap, that tastes good, that makes me feel good, and it takes care of those problems. So, you know, you talk about self-medicating, I think sometimes that looks at it in like a really dark, super heavy, you're waking up and you have to drink a pint of vodka to go out the door. But also the social aspect of it, it's the same kind of thing. That's why it's so popular. And, then, yeah. and, and there's plenty of people that can have two glasses or something and be totally cool. I am not one of those people. Yeah. And so yeah. it starts like that. And then, you know, I think midway through college, you know, I was really unhappy with what I was doing. I wasn't doing music as regularly as I'd liked. I was still working with a guy that I'd started a band with in Houston and like summers we would work together or like spring break, one of us would fly to where the other one was going to college and we'd like do a week of shows. Like real small potato yeah, stuff. Yeah. I just really wasn't happy and booze was like a super dope way to not feel bad about my circumstances, my totally. life, my where I was. Yeah. And that just escalated, you know, and, 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 and when I stopped drinking, I was, you know, I drank from what, let's say, like 19 to so what, 2004, let's say, yeah. and, and I stopped in 2016. Yeah, so 12 years. I didn't know who I was gonna be. I didn't yeah. know what I was gonna be like. Right. Was I gonna be fun? Was I gonna care if I was fun? Was I gonna have a sense of humor? Was I gonna be a totally different fucking person? Mm -hmm. I was really kind of freaked out by that. And what I found, and talking to my other friends that have gone through the same thing, is is they have a similar experience, and this this really took me by surprise, is after, you know, you go through the, the chemical side of it of just your body getting used to that thing not being there. Right. And I ate, like, a shit ton of, like, cake and stuff like that. And I still, like, <laughs> my body yeah. still wants that sugar. So, yeah, right. yeah, I, like, gained weight when I stopped drinking right off the bat, um, which was a surprise. But the thing I, I wanted to get to is I've started to feel like I did right before I started drinking, which was a trip. I started to feel like I was 18. And what I mean by that is, like, 
I was really into bands again. Some of the bands from when I was 18, but new yeah. shit too. I was just like excited to like be doing music again. And that really, really surprised me as it was just sort of like I reverted back to where I was when I was 18, but I had the benefit of 12 years of life experience to sort of yeah. influence that. Yeah. Um, and and that, that took, like I said, took me by surprise and took a little bit of getting used to, but I'm way happier. Uh, and I, and you know, and I just feel like I can at least, for better or worse, engage in the world in a, in a far more honest way because I'm not, you know, bending reality. Right. right. You know? Yeah. 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 That's that, that's huge. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, yeah. It's massive. It, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like this, like childlike state state that you're like you know like that you like rediscovered it's again. just like, like i you know took a big old break for 12 years yeah. and then got right back to it and that that was really surprising because i didn't know because my life was completely different from when i was 18 mm -hmm. to, to when you know i was what 31 or two or whatever it was when i stopped drinking so yeah so yeah that was that was a shocker you know and i'm still finding things out like it's still you know in a broad sense new mm -hmm. you know it's not three years yet so yeah. so i do yeah. find things as as they're going but that was the big thing is is yeah i I kind of got a lot of that enthusiasm back and a lot of that sort of wide-eyedness back again. And yeah, it was a trip to like, you know, because you're in a band, you're doing most of your work in a room that just sells a bunch of booze. Yeah. And you got to sit there for six hours. You know, you sound check and then you're just like chilling. Yeah. And I never really, and I, because I stopped drinking at shows before I stopped drinking, period. I'd stopped maybe about a year, you know, drinking okay. at shows. Because yeah. one, I want to do a good show. Right. And, and you know, I was just sick of afterwards being like, oh, but most of the time it was just me telling people how great Oasis was. So it wasn't anything like bad, but just yeah. like, yeah, not trying to do that. Um, <laughs> and Oasis is you know, the best, but um, <laughs> yeah. but uh, you know, I can I could probably make a better argument if I'm sober about that. But um, uh, you know, it was it was it was just having to relearn how to do that stuff that I probably wasn't ready to learn when I was 18. How to go through those interactions without you know, having a Jack Daniels hold my hand. You know totally. what I mean? Yeah. And so it, that saying it felt like I was 18 again, It that's part of it. You know, it was like, oh, I'm just as, like, shy or nervous to, like, talk to these people after this show or go do this thing. But, like, I've also lived 12 years and have way more experience, so I just have to, like, suck it up and fucking yeah. do it. And the more you do it, I like... Mean, the it, first time I met you at Gold Diggers, yeah. I was like, oh, this guy, he's, he loves talking to people. And, yeah. like, uh, some of that, like, really... Some of that to give, you, to, to give you sort of uh, the behind-the-scenes, a little bit of that, some dark therapy window stuff. Some of that is child acting stuff. Okay. Is, you know, I know... And it's not disingenuine. But I know how to be on in terms of, like, it's time to talk to people. Right, okay. Because I started doing that when I was three. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it's like yeah. when, you know, they, they grab a kid and, like, the KGB trains them in programs and, like, some Hannah shit. You know what I yeah. mean? And and the high school acting training I had was some of the best education I've had, period. And, and really what it is is it, it was tools to teach you how to you know be a better actor, but they're completely applicable to life. And it's things like, if I'm gonna play this character, I need to know sort of what they want, where are they coming from, what's the relationship to this person, why are they doing the things they're doing? But yeah. if you just take that sort of criteria, that apparatus, and just project it onto you, or me, or the guy down the street, right. that has nothing to do with acting, it's a really good way to figure people out. I mean. A lot of the really good actors that I've I've met and spent time with and stuff are just really good EQ people. They're just really good, empathetic, can sense the vibe of a room. And that and that's a chicken or the egg thing. Is someone drawn to acting or music or the arts or whatever because they're naturally like that and this makes the most sense to them because they're naturally expressive and want to make a connection, right. want to be empathetic, yeah. and want to be emotional, want to be sensitive. Or because they're in that training, does that awaken those things and hone those skills? It's probably a combination of both, quite frankly. I have raw materials that then get nurtured, but but um, some of it's that. And the other thing, too, is just like, that's why I love having like a label and a manager and other people is just I feel weird big upping like my own stuff. Yeah. Because I'm so yeah. close to it. I think that's a pretty common thing. Oh, totally. That, you know, I, I even as a child actor, you know, there's, there's kids that are just naturally like, I, like, I was... I'm I'm kind of naturally a quiet dude. Yeah. Until I feel like there's a reason to talk. Yeah. But I know plenty of people, child actors, you know, back in the '90s stuff. They're just nonstop, on all the time, and, and hams and showboats, and yeah. And that's 
that's not me. That's a, that's a thing that I get a lot of times too. Like, I guess you saw us live before I talked to you. It's a, yeah, it's a yeah. different thing. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's like, yeah. Like you hear stuff about like Iggy Pop where it's just like he's just like a quiet, sensitive dude off mm -hmm. the stage because it's a different thing. And, and it's, not, it's not because of what I do on stage or what he does on stage or certain performers do on yeah. stage is an artifice or fake or not really me or them. It's just that's the space in which to do that. It's almost like a, 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 you know, a witch doctor thing. It's like we're doing this ritual and that's when I'm going to stomp around and you know, throw bones around and do the thing. That's not me all the time. Right. Like I know a lot of stand-ups and stuff too and it's yeah. just like people that are on all the time, it's just like I'm not, not fucking with that. Right. Like it's just exhausting. Yeah. So that's, that's some of it too is just learning how to, you know, get through some of that awkwardness and, and, and that anxiety and that shyness or whatever it is mm -hmm. without drinking. The more you do it, the more you get better at it. And then also if you need sort of a little bit of boost, I got, you know, what, 20 years of, you need to be on to meet this stranger now. So <laughs> right, right. That yeah, is helpful no, too. totally. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, at least for me, I know I thrive off of connection and mm -hmm. talking to people. Yeah. And that's like, my manager like producer like yeah so that's like something i'm like oh like i always i always love talking to people and like what am, you know what i think it is i think and one of my best friends who's also named blake that i've known since i was 14 and and like love to death he he would always he made a point to me years ago that i would always want to hang out with people one-on-one -on -one, and i would never really feel comfortable hanging out in a group and you know, there's a bunch of reasons for that, but I love talking to people one-on-one. -on -one. Some of it's probably, you know, I don't, there's not the heightened we're on because we're just very quietly doing this, which is good. Yeah. But also, I'm sure there's a narcissistic component to that where it's like, well, there's no one to pull your attention away from me, you know, and that's that's a natural performer thing too is, is that instinct to like want to have people look at you and stuff like that. So, yeah, so yeah I, I really love talking to people and 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 figuring out their their life story and things like that i'm not one and this is something else since i've gotten sober i'm not a huge one for small talk now like i've kind of gotten to the point in my age which is a great age level to get to where it's just like yeah i don't want to talk to you like yeah. i can just sit in a room with someone and yeah. and just like yeah we're, we're not here for each other and we're waiting for someone else to come in so we're just gonna sit here yeah uh, that's yeah. fine yeah I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so I don't mind silence. So yeah, yeah, getting you know I mean? getting comfortable with that too. Yeah. Yeah. And and I understand people that, that aren't that it's awkward, but it's just like, you know, I'm fine with it now. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh -huh. And yeah, and that's that's a good thing to achieve too for me. Why do you love music? Yeah, so there's you know, there's probably you know, like, why did you quit drinking? Or, you know, there's layers of answers to that. Yeah. A short, really basic one is I just fucking love it. You know, I, I, I love the way it makes me feel. I love reading liner notes. I love looking at discographies on Wikipedia. I love figuring out that this dude produced this thing and did that thing. I yeah. think I just have a natural mental inclination for all those details that that art form really has a lot of information that to fill. That's part of it. I just love the way it makes me feel. Um, you know, there's a really old school kind of, I'm sure a million people have said a kind of cliche quote that, that music is the language of the soul, but that's that's true. You're communicating in a way that's nonverbal and therefore hopefully non-intellectual and more impulsive or emotional or subconscious or whatever. And so from a communication aspect, I love that. I just, you know, I, I, I love what it does. There is, there really is kind of a level of magic to, to music and, and especially live music, you know. I, I was thinking about this on the drive over here that musicians have a hard time because they're like actors that shoot a movie, you know, they make a record. And then imagine if you then had to go do live performances of the movie you shot. Oh, yeah. That's what we're no. doing. Yeah, that's totally. And it's totally... completely two disciplines yeah. that have kind of like two different skill sets. And some. that's why you say, oh, they're a great live band or their studio records are great or you have to see them live right. or whatever it is. Right. Or people that complain about how the live show doesn't sound like the record. It's, it's that. Imagine if you went and saw, I don't know, John Wick 3 and then two weeks later they were doing it at the Regent downtown. <laughs> right. You know yeah. what I mean? No, like, it's true. It's so true. You know, like, oh, they didn't have a car on stage. Like, you know, you know right. what I mean? Like, like, yeah. so some of it's that. Um, and, and, and I really hated studio stuff for the longest time when I was first starting out, frankly, because I probably didn't understand it. 
Yeah. And I felt intimidated by it was probably the reason. You know, all the other guys that I'd been in bands with before would either work with the producer or be the producer. And I was just like, I just want to get on stage and be crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, the last few records, I've taken a, a much more direct hand in the studio stuff. And I love creating studio stuff. And, and I love doing live stuff. So why do I do it? I love music. I love the way it sounds. I love the way it makes me feel. Um, I love making the thing. I love that I'm going to put, you know, five guitars on this thing, run it backwards. How are we going to do it live? I don't We're not going to do that live, I guess. Maybe we won't play this. I don't know. Right, yeah. We'll figure it out. We'll do a live version. Like, yeah. one of my favorite bands is Gotta Buy Voices, and Gotta Buy Voices, you know, you listen to some of their records, and, you know, they made it for $10 with a cassette. And you go see it live, and it's full-blown, you know, the doors are off, and, and that's mm -hmm. okay. I wouldn't want to go see a band that sounds just like the record. Why would, You already have that. Why would you just want a reproduction of the same thing you already own and pay, right. like, three times as much for it? Yeah. Get a babysitter and, like, buy a bunch of, like, sucks yeah I don't want that so so that's what I was, that's what I was saying is there there is an element of sort of magic to it of these people are on stage creating this thing that they couldn't do alone and I don't mean just the other band members but when you have a proper audience that's connected into it too all of you in that room for that amount of time are creating something that has never happened before yeah will not happen again mm -hmm. even if it's the same exact set list I just, I don't get the same feeling I get from that from anything else. It's, you know, I think that's probably why you see a bunch of people that like love drugs and alcohol and addictions in, in the arts is there's a personality component that's addicted to stuff. You just have to be very careful about what you get addicted to. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? And so yeah. I'm much happier being addicted to that feeling or addicted to spending hundreds of dollars on Discogs than something that, you know, could get me in trouble. But but it's it's that it feeds into that same need. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Do you have any tips um, for songwriters or, you know, people? Yeah. Music? You don't need to know anything about how to play an instrument. You just need to know what kind of sound you want to make. And that sounds like something you could buy at Target on a towel, but it's true. Like, listen to a bunch of records. Yeah. Like, I've been in bands with people or known other people that are, like, really, like, well-educated and know scales and know this or know that, but they don't have a creative bone in their body. You know, another band I love is Jesus and Mary Chain, and, you know, they, they just see a guitar as a thing to make sound. To make this thing yeah not well this is the scale and this is diminished like right. that stuff is great to know and you hear things like we well, have to know the rules to break the rules or whatever like, maybe but not in my experience so my thing is if you want to do it just do it if you feel compelled don't be intimidated i learned to power chord in like two seconds play, <laughs> yeah. play it yeah. with one finger right you know, and, and then you yeah. know some really sound advice behind that is if you you know want to have like a strong band get a couple guys in the band that you know are are well trained and know all that stuff like in our band the bass player and the keyboard player can speak all that language to each other and i'm yeah. like whatever it's the two dots and i go up to this one i don't know <laughs> yeah. so so i think with yeah. that is once you're putting yeah. your band together i think something yeah. something that's good is is making sure you have a diversity of skill sets right like right. that's important too yeah um but there's you don't need permission but also you shouldn't be intimidated if you want to do it do it but also i would advise anyone that wants to do it have in mind what your goals are right like why are you doing this right because if you don't you're going to drive yourself crazy and you're going to start getting turned around and it's not going to be fun and you're probably going to forget why you started doing it in the first place like if you just want to make something in your bedroom that's fine but kind of know that that's what you're doing if you just want to play shows for fun and if your friends come and that's it that's totally cool if you want like us to get to glastonbury in the uk then you need to know that yeah. and you need to make sure you're on the same page with everyone else in your band that's that's huge, and like, and that's like a relationship. I mean, a band is like a relationship. That's you know, everyone kind of knows that, I guess. But just don't wait. Just start doing it. But know where you're trying to go. What I would say is a red flag that I've seen happen to a bunch of people that have either uh, you know been in bands with me or you know been in other bands that I've just been aware of or or any sort of pursuit. If you start setting sort of maybe even arbitrary deadlines for yourself, then you just should stop doing whatever it is you're trying to do and. I'll give you an example. Like I, I knew a dude that was like, if we're not playing Coachella in two years, then I'm out of this band. Well, it's like then you should just quit the band now because <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's going to happen. And and the distinction that I think is really important is the difference between you know giving yourself an ultimatum that's going to put a lot of unnecessary pressure on yourself, or having a goal that you're aiming for, and and being open to what that goal looks like or the path of that goal shifting. And and that's that's something that's really difficult to learn and 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 manage. So. Set goals, don't give yourself ultimatums, because ultimatums, there's nothing 
positive about that or right. beneficial about that. Yeah. Because, you know, you and I find a lot of people do that to sort of rationalize why they stopped something too. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Well, I said if by 2018 we weren't doing these exact things this exact way, I, I was done. Okay, well then you probably just needed to feel good about stopping doing it. You know what I right. mean? Right, yeah. Rather than yeah. like the, the larger things of like, I don't enjoy this anymore or I think I'm, you know, good for a while. Like, you can sense those things. You know what I mean? You can sense when maybe it's time to hang it up or maybe it's time to take a break you shouldn't force that. And if you're forcing that, it's because you're too scared to call it now. Yeah. My opinion. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. To anyone who's listening, I'll give you some acting advice too. You don't need to go to school to be an actor. You don't need to pay a lot of money. You just need to do it. You maybe need to take a couple, you know, handful of classes to learn some basics, but the idea of taking out hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of loans to go to UCLA, it is not worth it. Don't go to UCLA no. for that. Yeah. UCLA is a very good school. Don't go for theater. Get like an economics degree or like a world arts and cultures degree or something you give a shit about. You <laughs> yeah. don't need to take a class yeah. to learn how to audition. You just go on some auditions and figure out what not to do next time. You know what I mean? And I feel like the landscape with that's changed too where you can just kind of make your own stuff. But one of the worst notes that I got was that I was real monotone in some scene I was doing. And I said, yeah, I'm monotone when I'm bored teacher did not understand what I was, I was saying. It's like, this class fucking sucks. Yeah. And maybe that's a good piece yeah. of advice, too, that I was probably too young and too scared to, to fully listen to at the time, which is, like, you know if something's not working. You know what I mean? You may not be ready to admit it to yourself or, like, rationalize a, a way to, to, to stay in it for whatever reason a little bit longer, but I, I should have left UCLA after the first year. The only real reason I stayed in it is, is one, well, two, I guess. Yeah. One, I thought it's what I should be doing, I guess. I should finish school, and, and I think culturally that's changed too. I know a lot of kids that are you know, maybe 10 years younger than me, and they leave high school, and they get like a decent day job, and then figure out what they want to do, and then say, oh, I'll go to college to get that degree because that's what I want to do, where the inverse for decades had been go to high school, go straight into college, hope you figure it out at an age where you're still really a kid. Right. You're 18 yeah. or whatever, yeah. and you're more interested in like, figuring out kind of who you are or being away from home for the first time and then you get out of school and I got out of school right when the economy shit the bed like straight up I graduated in 08 yeah, yeah. and and people my age I would say early 30s for the most part are just kind of saddled with loans that you're probably not going to pay off so yeah figure it out make the best of it and so so that's kind of changed too is just like I should have left way earlier I would have been I'd be in less debt but I also probably would have done something maybe I would have been more into. The other reason I stayed is like, well, I'm in LA and like Supergrass plays here like twice a year. So I'm gonna fucking <laughs> yeah. probably stay for yeah. that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I know for me, I knew like in high school I wanted to work in film and television. Yeah. And I didn't, I wanted to just go to a trade school. Yeah. But my parents were yeah. like, no, you need to like go yeah. to like get your four-year degree yeah. and everything. And I mean... And I understand that too, because yeah. like generationally, that's how it worked for our parents' generation. Yeah, is it's like, true. yeah, that yeah. worked out really well for them. You went and got a four-year degree, and then you got like a good job, and you were probably pretty cool. So why wouldn't you give that advice that worked super well for you to your kid? Like right. I totally understand yeah. that. But the landscape changed really quickly and really radically to where I feel like there's some people that were born from like 1980 to 1986, 87 that are just kind of like, oh, the ground fell off from underneath me and I'm not getting that time back, so fuck it, I guess I will be in a band at 34. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah. whatever, yeah. you know, and, and I, I feel like the learning curve has trickled down a little bit to people that are maybe 10 years younger than that. So, you know, if you're in your 30s period, you, you understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, maybe, hopefully. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe you got a really good job and you're super happy. I don't know. Maybe you did. I mean, great. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> you probably didn't go to UCLA for theater. Um, yeah. We were talking about people. We were talking about LA and how cool LA is and how if you move out here, as most people do, you got to kind of love the city and it's big and it's polluted and it's isolating and it's lonely because you're in your car all the time and it's yeah. and it's hot. Yeah. But like you have to fight, you have to fight for wanting to stay out here. Yeah. And you have to Ex especially at the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think something that was helpful for me with that is like I really didn't have anything to fall back on. And I and, and you know, I, I didn't have parents that I could be like, 
hey, it didn't work out. Can you pay my rent? You know, yeah. I did, I straight up didn't have that. Right. So it's it was really up to me in terms of like, do you want to do this? Yes or no. And you figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I this isn't to super puff myself up, but like I don't think a lot of people necessarily would have lived in a rehearsal space and showered once a week at a truck stop an hour away for three years. I did that. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's and it's because I love music that much and and I love the city that much. I really I really love L.A. And the longer I stay here the more I come to to love new things about it and cool things about it. Yeah, yeah, all the, uh, the cliche stuff's true. You're an hour away from the mountains or the beach and all that stuff's great. That stuff's awesome. But yeah. like, the thing I really like about LA, there's a few things I like about LA. One is there's no sort of super religious or super European underpinnings to the city. It's, it's not like that at all. And there's a lot of that, you know, in the East Coast, the Midwest, the South. This is just kind of where a bunch of people who maybe fucked up in those places came to like start over. Yeah. And it still uh-huh. is. Yeah. And I really like that. There's, you know, and, and depending on where you're coming from, like coming from Texas, it's two, three days across the desert. And yeah, I might be in a Ford Focus this time, but like I get the feeling of what it was probably like to do that on a train or in a fucking wagon yeah. or on foot or whatever. Yeah. And, uh-huh. and, and that to me, whether it's my own projections onto the city or the truth or somewhere in between, I still get that feeling that if you kind of make it here, this is sort of like, and I don't mean make it, I mean like literally get to the city physically. <laughs> yeah. If, if yeah. you can get here, yeah. this is kind of the haven away from all that other stuff. There's also no, there's no center to the city. It's a bunch of spread out things, and yeah, it's and very spread it's out, but it's st- but I but I love but I love that. it. I, I love that there's little neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. I love that like there's Echo Park and downtown and like you you can come here and reinvent yourself if you want to, or escape yourself and get into something new, or find out maybe who you wanted to be, very very easily in a way that I haven't found in other cities. You know what I mean? It's also in terms of the major cities in LA, or I'm sorry, in the US, still the only one that's kind of barely still affordable. Like good luck in New York or San Francisco or anything like that. You can't yeah. you can't do it. Yeah. And the reason it's spread out is because people have to keep moving further out to to afford it, but you can still do it. Mm-hmm. Like like if we're really talking big picture, like in terms of American dream stuff, like in terms of creativity or the entertainment industry, which yeah, has a lot of gross stuff too, but a lot of really fucking cool things in it too you can still kind of do it here if you want to. And yeah. and I love that about the city. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because you lived, you lived in that studio space mm-hmm. in Vernon. Mm-hmm. And Vernon is its yeah. own world. Yeah, we can talk about Vernon a little bit. Vernon, I, the reason we found that place in the first place was the company that owned our studio in Houston owned the studio in Vernon. Okay. So that's how we knew about it. Okay. We weren't like, you know, oh man, we've always heard stories about Vernon. I don't know where the fuck Vernon was. Yeah. We just knew that, okay, these guys who run this studio in Houston that we like also run this one, so we'll just call them. And, and that was it. But Vernon, for those who don't know, is a super tiny industrial enclave that I would say is maybe like 10 minutes from the fashion district, 15 minutes from downtown. And it's this little island that is purely industrial, there's a population of 90, it's all factories, it's like another planet, the landscape's completely bizarre, and it's where our studio is still, and and was, and we, yeah, I lived in it, you know, for years, and the reason for that is, one, it was cheap, and you moved out, and you're working a part-time job, and you, you know, you're not getting money from back home, so you gotta figure it out yep. if you wanna do it. Yeah. And figuring out how to, like, you know, live there but keep it super low key so if the manager knocked on the door you basically have two minutes you flip a switch and all the things kind of disappear <laughs> a lot of futons that fold up into couches right? a lot of blankets that oh yeah, yeah now go into drums to muffle them and stuff like that right yeah. you know you just have to figure it out so that's the reason we we started there was out of pure pure necessity but in the time that i've spent there and it's been nearly 10 years that i've been you know working creatively out of vernon i love the city i love it there's nothing like it in la you, there's no distractions. If you're there, you're there to work. It's the only place, and, 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 and I really want to make this point too, it's the only place I've found in the LA area where it's quiet. It's just quiet. Oh, that's, no one, that's amazing. So that's so great. No one lives there. Yeah. If you're there at night or if you're there on the weekends, right. it's quiet. You can go for a walk behind the studio and it's just a bunch of factories that aren't on, aren't working because it's you know not the work week, and you can hear the wind. And 
That's rare. That's yeah. rare in Los Angeles. Yeah, there's oh no one gosh. honking. There's no yeah. one yelling. There's no, yeah. there's nothing. It's quiet. And that's really hard to find because, uh, you know, you could easily find stuff like that in Houston, even though it's a giant city, a lot easier. So I love that about it. So I can work there in this w little windowless room and then go for a walk and, like, actually collect my thoughts and, like, be relatively safe because there's nobody else there. Um, that's in the video for Running on Synthetic, and it was really important for me to show that because um, it is changing a little bit. There's a lot of gentrification happening in Boyle Heights and stuff like that, and it'll never run a residential level trickle down to Vernon because you can't really live there. But, you know, there's weird art galleries opening, and, and there's things where this used to be sort of a whatever garment factory that's now like this fashion house and stuff like that. Yeah. But Vernon, it's tiny. It's, you know, surrounded by Boyle Heights and, and, you know, Huntington Park on the back end and downtown on this side and, you know, the 710 and Commerce on that side. It's this tiny little island in the middle of all this where it's quiet and the landscape is super inspiring and there's one little studio there. It's not little, it's pretty big, but yeah. it's... it's yeah. It's awesome. I love Vernon. Vernon's Vernon's a big part of the record. That's Ver, cool. Vernon looks like how the record sounds. It sounds industrial. And you know, uh -huh. and we were we were mentioning this earlier. Is like I love all things English. You know, my artistic, at least musical heart is is completely English. You know, most of my favorite bands are English. Mm -hmm. You know, and and I wish I lived in England a lot of the time. And the closest I can get right now is. You know the the SoCal version of England, which is an industrial area in That's LA. Cool. Yeah. You know, and when it rains too, it floods all back behind our studio, so it looks like we have a river. So we can do a little sort of like fantasy. Oh yeah, we're in the UK. That's a river yeah. there too. But yeah, that that landscape is super 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 influential, and I'm really happy we got it in the video. Have you ever been to London? Yeah, I turned 15 in London. I took a school trip in high school. It was a you know I. I I was a theater dude, so it was a yeah. theater trip. We went to a bunch of plays. I didn't get to see any shows. But what I did get to do is I did get to go into English record stores in March of 2000 and see singles everywhere that you could buy that you never could see in the U.S. And be yeah. like, what the fuck? The Smashing Pumpkins? What? And so I came back with just like boatloads of singles, and I went to the British Museum, and and, cool. and we, were we were supposed to go to Stonehenge, but that's when Hoof and Mouth, one of the many times it broke out there, Hoof and Mouth disease, so you couldn't go to the country, or was not advised to go to the country. Um, that's, that's one of the goals for the band, period, is, is I was telling our manager, just like, if I could play, you know, whatever, running on synthetic in Manchester, like, I could kind of call it a day. Yeah. You know, I probably yeah. wouldn't if we've gotten yeah. to that point, and let's do it again, right. but, but that, that would be massive for me. It says, on my pedal board, just written on there, it just says Glastonbury. Every show is Glastonbury. I mean, and that, I love that. I love that. Yeah, because... I mean, I've heard it. I, I mean, I've never been, but I've heard it's such a good... Well, the, you know, the thing about the UK and kind of it seems like everywhere else in the world but the US is they still respect rock music to the same level of every other genre and they just they just don't hear. So if you look at BBC playlists they'll they'll play grime and they'll play yeah. you know a pop song yeah. and then they'll play Kasabian right next to it because mm -hmm. it's still looked at with the same reverence and the same sort of cultural influence as all the other genres. And here, you know, it's it's completely pop or hip hop, right? And that's yeah. it. And I yeah. completely understand that because America is by far the best at hip hop, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, that should be dominant because it's yeah. probably. That's the other thing too is, is that's where a lot of the the most creative stuff is happening, and so it should probably be the biggest thing in America because I think artistically that's where most of the risks are being taken. You know, if you look at rock music, and this piss a bunch of American people off, but we'll get into it. That's you know, if you look at American rock music now, first off, what even is that? You know, are we talking about things on stereo gum that are really sort of like indie and you know quieter and sort of more cerebral? Or are we talking about shit on the Warp Tour? So first off, what it, what right. is it? Right. What? What? So yeah. let's let's start there, and and <laughs> and good luck. Yeah. Or is it stuff that's at like you know, um, like Rocklahoma and shit like that? Like what is it? First mm -hmm. off, and then second off, what are they doing with it? And something that. I've always loved about English bands that I, that I really, regardless of the generation, you know, we could be talking the Kinks, we could be talking Blur, we could be talking the Libertines, the Clash, whatever. The English, and I think it's just a cultural thing, frankly, they're really good about being able to blend emotions in art way better than Americans, at least musically. You know, you listen to a Buzzcock song, you got a really happy melody, but you read those lyrics and you're yeah. like, whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. You know, it's it's just to me, sorry America, a little more sophisticated. <laughs> yeah. And that yeah. I think that is is because the culture there 
one, it's a hell of a lot smaller the place, and so they can kind of, you know, get on the same page culturally a little bit easier than America's. America's so fucking huge. It's massive, yeah. You know, but that's just part of their, you know, identity. You know, there's a reason you can trace Oscar Wilde to Morrissey. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And here, and, and you know, there's, there's the, kind of the old thing of, like, England has the best bands, America has, you know, the best solo artists, which is probably kind of true if you did a side-by-side page. And I think that's because... What's inherent, the idea of teamwork or, you know, a community or socialism or whatever is way more of a palatable thing and common thing in the UK to where the biggest part of the American DNA, for better or worse, is the idea of the individual. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Uh that's why something like an Elvis or a Bob Dylan, who clearly isn't operating in their own chamber, is you know, way more likely to capture, or, or, or Kanye, or Jay-Z, or, a, you know, it's solo, it's people, a name. It's far more likely to capture the American imagination than a band, where the flip side is is true in, in the UK. Um, yeah, I, I went to London a couple months ago. Yeah. And it was, I don't know, it was amazing. I yeah. love, it, it's just so vibrant, yeah. and, like, I, I went outside of, like, Abbey Road, yeah. and, like, did that whole, yeah. like... And, you know, and I'm sure there's, you know, just how people who visit L.A. say, like, oh, my God, but, you know, we know what it's like to get your tire <laughs> yeah. changed here. I'm right. sure there's day-to-day yeah. shit like that over there. I'm, yeah. I'm sure there is. Yeah. And, like, a lot of the things that we talked about, there's the really deep psychological or spiritual level or whatever as, as to why these things are interesting or good. But also, if you like fucking rock bands, it's a great place to be. Mm-hmm. Period. It's true. You watch a festival show in the UK, even now, they sing the guitar riffs. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. And I think some of that has to do with... Yeah, what's up? Oh, uh, I went and saw Vampire Weekend yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, at Earth. Um, like They did some small club shows yeah. like when I was over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But everyone, I don't know if this was just England or just in general, they were singing the riff yep. to, the, to, yep. to the song. Yep. And I was like, this is the best The UK moment. does that. South America does that. Yeah. You ever watch ACDC or Oasis yeah. in like Argentina? Mm-hmm. You can find it on YouTube. Yeah. It's, it's insane. I think part of that has to do with the soccer culture. The idea of a million people in a big open space yeah. singing a song because there's mm-hmm. soccer chants and soccer songs and things like that. We don't have that here. Yeah. No, you know, we true. have pyro here, yeah. which is fucking cool, but like it's just not the same thing. And that's what turns me on musically is, is that stuff, you know, so those countries. Even on that same trip, I went to uh, England versus Czech Republic yeah. uh, at like Wembley and it yeah. was just like yeah. everyone singing together yeah. and like, it was just, you know. The closest I got to that was I went to Coachella 05, 06, 07 when I was in college and 07 was the first year they did three days, they upped the capacity and it was like, this is a lot and it was the Rage Against the Machine first reunion show so it was oh, like, wow. the vibe was like heavy and this is some really nerdy shit all my housing fell through, like, and who I was going with on what day. So I went with a different person each day, and I drove back to LA each night, and then drove Whoa. back with a different person the next day. So I was exhausted. Wow. And by the time the fires in the camp started for rage, because they started lighting fires in the camps, a little Woodstock 99 style, not to that level, yeah. I was like, I'm, I'm done. But I made myself a promise that I would only go back if I gasped when I saw the poster, right? Like if I had a <gasps> moment. And for years, I was like, oh, that's cool, or oh, that'd be nice. But 2013, the headliners on day one, it was a co-headline of Blur and Stone Roses. Yeah. <gasps> what? What? So obviously, super Anglophile. I'm reading all the, the English magazines. I knew Blur had reunited. I knew Stone Roses reunited. I thought maybe Blur might come over because at least Song 2 and like Girls and Boys got a little bit of foothold. Yeah. Stone Roses never fucking coming over here. Why would they? Why would you spend, and that's the other thing too, why would you spend all the money to come over here and play to like the will turn when you can just sell out soccer stadiums for a month in the UK? You just wouldn't do it. There's no incentive to do it. But I was like, well, I got to go to that. And, yeah, this is a good story. The the run, the lineup on the main stage uh, that night, right towards the end, was uh, Modest Mouse, then Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, and then uh, Stone Roses, and then Blur, and it was second weekend. And for Modest Mouse and Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, you couldn't move. It was packed out main stage back past the mixing desk. You couldn't. Yeah. It was awful. Yeah. As soon as Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs were done, it's just like someone opened the floor and all the people disappeared. I walked casually, calmly, with plenty of space from the mixing desk to the second row. Whoa. No one was there for Stone Roses. Whoa. And, and the reason for that is it's kind of multi. One, they're a cult band in America, 100%. They, they are, and I've always said this, they are the English version of the Pixies, right? To where 
if it wasn't for this band, if it wasn't for Sun Roses, you really wouldn't have Oasis or something like that. If you didn't have the Pixies, you really wouldn't have Nirvana getting as big as they did. You wouldn't have Weezer. So it's like, that's why Pixies, when they played No. 4, everyone was like, ah! So, yeah, but yeah, that, that yeah. isn't as ingrained here. It's just basically like record nerds of a certain age are into Stone Roses, right? But, you know, Golden Voice knows that they're huge, so they, they put them in that slot. But I walked up casually, again, to the second row, and eventually it filled in a little bit, and it was just me and a bunch of British people. That was it. <laughs> oh my gosh, so I was like, wow. This is about as close as I'm gonna get. Right. Like, I'm singing I Wanna Be Adored and Made of Stone in a field with English people. That guy's doing a key bump. This lady's handing me her two liter full of vodka and Coke. Cool. <laughs> so that's yeah. about as close as you could get, yeah. but, um, you know, it's it's just that big communal thing that that just isn't isn't the same. It's just a cultural thing. Like in Japan, they're silent, um, you know, and we'll clap politely after a song. It's a cultural thing, and it just depends on like what do you like, right? You know, and and why are you going to a show? You know, we, and and talking about the thing about America has you know in a very broad sense the most iconic solo artists. England has the most iconic bands. Like a friend of mine, we were trying to figure out. Like, what's the best or the biggest American band? And there's not really a good answer. There's, like, yeah. the same five to ten names that come up. And they're like, what do you mean by best? Like, most influential, longest successful career. Yeah. And it's every name that came up was a name that I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, ooh, Aerosmith? Yeah, I, oh, you're probably right, though. Right, Ugh. yeah, yeah. Red yeah. Hot Chili Peppers now, Maybe. Maybe. If you're talking influential, yeah. you could say Beach Boys. Right. But that's just because of Abbey Road, you know, saying, oh, we listen to Pet Sounds and do this. You can maybe say the Velvet Underground, but, like, really? Yeah. Like, there's nothing yeah. on that level where you could say on the UK, oh, yeah, uh, Led Zeppelin, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Pink Floyd. Okay, I got it done. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Or, you know, you know, solo artists. Oh, yeah, Bob Dylan, um, Elvis. Uh, you know, whatever, um, and and then you're done. Like Kiss, is it Kiss? I hope is it's it not Kiss. Kiss. Is okay. it Van Halen? Right. Like it's there's not there's no good answer for it. No, no, there it no. There's nothing that sort of ticks all the boxes yeah. of like super successful, super influential, great catalog that still sells a ton. You know, Michael Jackson, duh, Prince, <laughs> duh. Right. But there's not you know, and then uh, Van Halen. Van Halen. Ooh. Metallica, maybe? Metallica. You know what I mean? Right. And yeah. Oh, it's true. It's very true. There's not like a, oh, yeah. It could be any one of these four or five. And mm -hmm. you could do that in the UK. So, yeah, it, it's just, you know, just what what do you like? And artistically, that's that's what I like. Do you guys have an album release show coming up or anything? Or we, we, yeah. we do. And I don't know when this is, is going when up, is, but uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll announce it now. It's the day the record comes out. It's June 28th. Okay. Uh, it's going to be downtown. Okay. Uh, we will announce the venue soon, but it's okay. downtown. We'll announce the lineup's done. We'll announce that soon. Yeah, the rest of the year is, is the record out in June. It's going to be awesome. I'm really excited for everything we put together for that. And then it's going to be, you know, a bunch of regional stuff going out to San Diego, going out to Orange County, going to the Bay Area, mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Some small, maybe some small touring towards the end of the year while we work, and we've already started working on the next one. Okay. Yeah, yeah the cool. idea. Is, I yeah, love cause, it. Cause yeah. That's a thing too, and and that's just sort of the way the industry's changed in general. Is like all the, and th that's also a trip. Is I feel like I'm at the right age to where when I got to the age where I'm supposed to start, you know, a career or start this or start that the goalposts of what that looked like have not only moved down, but have changed. So, you know, the idea of, like, in 1996, you have a record every two or three years, and there's a huge tour behind that. It doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. The, the idea of, like, your record needs to be 10 to whatever, 15 tracks. And I always hated, like, 14-track CDs. <laughs> yeah. Like, what does track 12 sound like on a four? It's either, like, 10 and we're done, or it's, like, Sand and East, and it's, like, 25 or 30. Like, it's either a big thing. Yeah. Like, 14, you just didn't edit. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah, you yeah, could yeah. have cut a couple out. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah. the idea with that is is less about how many songs it is, more so about how long the music is. Like this record we have coming out, only nine songs, but it's forty minutes. Yeah. You know, and and the next one we're working on, I, I think is probably going to be maybe only seven songs, but it's probably also going to be forty minutes. Um, and we've started demoing for that, and so the goal is to sort of back and forth i would love to be able to say at the end of the year that it's done and coming out next year um because you lose momentum yeah. and that's the thing too now is 
is just, you know, at least in, in LA, is there's so much hype before a record comes out. There's this single, check this feature out, there's this thing, and it's all the lead up, and then as soon as the record's out, people talk about it for that weekend, and then it's whose record's coming out next. Like, right. the life of a record, the lifespan of a record is completely changed because radio's different, there's no monocultural things like MTV, like how I found out about, like, everyone from Oasis right. to the yeah. Strokes to right. you know yeah. whatever Pete Yorn, oh um, you know what I mean like a bunch of MTV too that just doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So constantly building a body of work in a short amount of time like you did in like the 50s or the 60s is you know where CCR is putting up two records in a year or something like that is kind of where it's moved back to. Especially because you could spend a year on a record and people playlist one song and then that's a year of your life. For a song, yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah, no, so that's true. making I mean. shorter form things quickly on top of each other in a, in a compacted amount of time, I think, is what we want to do creatively and what makes sense from a business perspective too. That's also a piece of advice: is if you want to start like actually having a proper career, you're going to have to start talking about businessy things, and it might feel real weird. Yeah, it might feel real gross, and it <laughs> might feel real compromised. But like being practical about what the realities are in terms of having this be something you can maybe make a living from mm -hmm. or at least you know getting your art the exposure that you would hope it does and mm -hmm. want it to you have to quote unquote play the game a little bit but that doesn't mean you have to you shouldn't do things you don't want to do or things you don't feel comfortable with you just have to find people that are like-minded that are also savvy at it and that's the thing too that that I, I feel a lot of people will sometimes run into is they're either they want it to happen so bad and I understand that they, they'll make a business decision that you know intrinsically they maybe wouldn't have or they don't make a business decision that's probably kind of smart and would get your record in front of more people because they think it's selling out right like being yeah. very yeah. practical and honest with yourself about how that dynamic functions is really important and you know if you're sober you can do that a lot better yeah. <laughs> in my Definitely. in my case at least. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so yeah. much for yeah, being absolutely. on the show today. Yeah, like, this thank was you for having great. me. It's awesome. Loved it. Yeah, cool. Thank you. Thanks again to Blake for being on the show and to the Bang Ups for the theme music. This has been the I Love Music Podcast with Jen Fedor. <laughs>